0: Dragon, SpaceX, go for launch. SpaceX, Dragon, we're go for launch. Let's light this candle.
1: One of my favorite moments in an otherwise stressful 2020 happened on May 30th. At around 3.22pm Eastern, SpaceX Crew Dragon Endeavour was the first crewed orbital spacecraft to launch from the US in nine years since the end of the space shuttle program, and the first one operated by a commercial entity. It brought astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken up to the International Space Station, and then, 64 days later, on August second, returned them safely to Earth in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Lift off there's the Falcon Nine and Crew Dragon go NASA, go SpaceX. Godspeed, bottom and A America has launched. And so rises a new era of American spaceflight, and with it the ambitions nominal. of a new generation continuing the dream. Twenty seconds into flight, stage one propulsion is nominal.
1: Growing up in Florida, not far from Cape Canaveral, I'm sure most of us have had one experience or another with space travel, be it teachers in middle school pausing class so we could run outside to watch the space shuttle launches, or going on family vacations to tour the Kennedy Space Center. And I'm sure when we were younger, more than one of us dreamed of being an astronaut sailing across the stars. While many of us eventually outgrow our dreams of space exploration, some of us never let go of that goal. Among our classmates, Garima Gupta is one of those who never stopped shooting for the stars.
0: Hi, my name is Garima, and I'm currently a rising senior here. Um, I'm majoring in mechanical engineering and minor in aerospace engineering.
1: Now I unfortunately was unable to schedule an interview with Garima, but since I'd known her back in middle school, she had always wanted to work in the space industry. After graduating Stanton, she joined Rebecca Kiddo along with Jessica Young in attending Caltech where she apparently joined the women's basketball team. Her voice you're hearing now is from a 2013 video from Caltech admissions about women in STEM.
0: And we're working on um, building a stage that will help us uh, look for lightning strikes on Mars, which may confirm or deny the existence of water on the planet, which is really exciting. So yeah, I chose the STEM field uh, because I really like math and science. And since the third grade, I wanted to become an astronaut so and that dream never really changed for me my summer project this year and last summer um, is something that might go to mars one day and that's just crazy to me especially because i want to become an astronaut that's something that i want to do for the rest of my life
1: now doing your power for the course social media stalking to figure out who i wanted to bring on the podcast i found that grima went on to pursue a master's in aerospace engineering at georgia tech and eventually landed an internship in propulsion engineering at spacex After graduating, she returned to SpaceX as a propulsion development engineer, involved in testing and developing the Falcon 9 rocket. This is the stage 1 rocket that gives the astronauts the initial push to get out of orbit before detaching and eventually landing autonomously on a platform in the ocean. During the broadcast, you heard it referred to as M1D. M1D, throttle down. We're throttling down to get ready for the period of maximum dynamic pressure. It's kind of surreal to realize that some of our classmates are literal rocket scientists, and that their contributions not only help humanity launch into space, but will one day potentially allow us to fly and land on Mars. But when it comes to finding engineers to run things like this, you could do a lot worse than the Stanton College Prep class of 2010. Hello and welcome to the We Run This Podcast, a show celebrating the Stanton College Prep, Class of 2010, and how we continue to kill it, 10 years on. I'm Paulo Bautista. Now, Garima isn't the only classmate of ours who grew up to become a rocket scientist. In fact, during her internship at SpaceX in 2015, she actually was interns alongside another SCP Class of 2010 alum.
0: They call a lot of internships and a lot of jobs in this industry drinking out of a fire hose. So SpaceX for me was nonstop drinking out of a fire hose. So my name is David Owen Keister. Uh, My wife and I hyphenated, so... Obviously, David Keister back when I was in high school. I'm a vibroacoustics engineer at United Launch Alliance in Denver, Colorado. Currently work on the Vulcan rocket.
1: Now, we don't have any astronauts going up into space, at least not yet. But we do have the next best thing. Many astronauts often have some sort of military background. Bob Benkin, for example, is a former U.S. Air Force colonel. And in our class, we have someone in the Air Force who flies B-52 bombers. Uh, My name is Captain Dylan Collins with the United States Air Force.
2: I'm a weapons systems officer on the B-52 stationed in Minot, North
1: Dakota. Both David and Dylan were pretty chill guys back in high school who represented Stanton in their respective sports, soccer and crew respectively.
0: I would best describe myself as very go with the flow on pretty much everything. I truly don't feel like I had that much direction. I just kind of like took everything day by day. The main activities I did at Stanton were soccer, drama, particularly with drama. It was, I was in the 1776 uh, musical.
2: I know when I was at Stanton, I was a pretty quiet guy. Uh, School wasn't always my forte, as I'm sure uh, a lot of people can attest to that remember remember me back then.
1: But um, I definitely was a quieter guy, kept, kept a little more to myself, I think. In fact, both of them did their fair bit in their sports with regard to competition outside of just the Jacksonville area.
0: My favorite memory, I would say, is like walking onto the field, senior year of high school for the state finals for soccer. I was in Tampa, Florida. It was a really cool feeling because Stan actually bust a bunch of people down to watch the game, having all my friends in the stands and so forth, so forth was really huge.
2: Oh, uh, So we had a, a couple of fun races that we would go to every year. Like I said, we got to travel a lot. Uh, most of them ended up just being kind of local Florida races, but the fun ones were when we got to go out to uh, places like Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and do some of the further distance races where we traveled for you know a long weekend. So we would miss school on Friday come back Monday, so you get to miss a couple days of school. Those are always the best, in my opinion.
1: After Stanton, both ended up going to the University of Florida, which, as is the case with many of our classmates, very meaningful in terms of personal growth. For David, he met his now-wife while working at the Lake in Gainesville. My first
0: two years at UF, I honestly feel like I coasted off of a lot of what I learned at Stanton. However, like I hit junior year and junior year kind of hit me like a wall. I had to kind of figure out how to study and so forth. And that was around the time when I met my, well, now wife, Maggie. We were both aerospace and mechanical engineering majors. I actually worked at the lake at UF. For the lake, I was a ski boat driver and a rock climbing instructor. So I actually met my my wife, Maggie, at the lake because I lost her ID. Yeah, it's like the first thing that Maggie tells anybody. And every time I say, well, it wasn't actually me that lost your ID. It was the person who had the shift before me. But it all gets drowned out.
1: <laughs> For Dylan, he went to UF on a Air Force scholarship, which involved doing ROTC though that's not the only activity he was involved in. So
2: leaving uh, Stanton back in 2010, I was uh, picked up for a Tier 1 Air Force scholarship. So I ended up getting into UF and my family's history with the University of Florida. Grew up a Gator fan, so I was pretty happy about going there. While I was in college, I also uh, got involved with a lot of other things. I uh, joined a fraternity, Pi Cap Alpha, for all five years of my school. Uh, My sophomore year, I got picked up as a uh, men's varsity rowing coach for Gainesville area rowing. And then I also decided to get my EMT certification. So I was an EMT on fire rescue and I worked in the pediatric emergency room at UF Health and Chan's. I really kind of branched out while I was in school, just trying to learn as much as I could and experience as much as I could while I was in school.
1: Dylan's family history with the Gators wasn't the only influence they had on his future. In fact, both Dylan and David ended up settling on their careers due to influence from their loved ones.
2: I had uh, two of my grandfathers were in the uh, military, one in the Air Force for four years, one in the Army for 20, and my uncle was also in the Coast Guard. My uh, grandfather in the Air Force had some really cool stories. He was an electrical engineer from the University of Florida, and uh, he was actually in charge of putting the guidance systems on weapons for the Air Force. So just hearing some of his stories about where he worked and... Uh, I know he was stationed in Okinawa for a little bit. I always kind of had the desire to do like FBI, CIA. I always kind of thought that was cool. Applying to college, I started looking into the academies and fell upon ROTC and realized that I could go to school and have fun, but also, you know, get it paid for and have a job when I got done. My
0: dad, he's an engineer. So I knew going into high school that I wanted to be an engineer because, well, a lot of it was probably my dad just telling me propaganda about how awesome engineering is. And so I went into my first internship my junior year. It was at BE Aerospace. It's a commercial aviation company that designs interiors of aircraft. And there I kind of decided, well, I think it'd be more interesting to go into space. And it was around that time that I got super close to Maggie. She wanted to be an astronaut ever since she was eight years old. I kinda didn't really realize that I could get into the space industry until I met her and she had a path. She knew what she was gonna do. Once I realized that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do the same thing and try to go into, into the space industry.
1: Now, the road to being a rocket scientist and an Air Force pilot are by no means easy. Take Dylan's experience with ROTC, for example.
2: You're gonna have extra PT sessions. So, you know, I had to get up early in the morning and go run at least twice a week. And we also had two extra classes a week. One being what we called a leadership lab, which is where we would run like leadership exercises, drill and marching that took up about three hours of the week. And then we had just a regular like classroom class that uh, just went over things like history of the Air Force, how to be an officer, life in the military, that kind of. Th- so you were looking at roughly about seven to eight hour extra commitment uh, a week as a ROTC cadet compared to your normal student. Field training is our version of officer training school. At the time, it's about four to five weeks that you spend at Maxwell Air Force Base doing some other hands-on training. So your last year of school uh, is when you find out what job you're going to have in the Air Force. So I got picked up as what's called a combat systems officer. Our initial training all occurs in Pensacola. The first plane we fly in is a T-6, which is a two-seater single engine prop plane Um, that's where we learn all all of our aviation fundamentals and then we transition to the t1 which is a two engine kind of lear jet and then like i said after i was in pensacola for two years i went to barksdale air force base in louisiana and then we did about nine months uh, in the field training unit on the B-52, and then I moved up to my Minot.
1: For David, his training was mostly around his internships that he did concurrent to taking master's level classes from the University of Florida remotely.
2: I've actually been a
0: student at UF for the past 10 years. I actually graduated with my master's degree, um, I guess, two months ago. But after about five years at UF, I was doing various internships and so forth. So after uh, 2015, I was pretty much working and taking classes all at the same time. My my wife and I, whenever I would get an internship somewhere else across the country, she would get it on the opposite side. So for like two or three years, we basically crisscrossed the US. And it started because my first internship I applied to, I applied as far away from Jacksonville as possible, which was, for me, Seattle, Washington. And after that, I went down to South Florida uh, to AirJet Rocketdyne. And while I was there, my wife went to Colorado on an internship. And then from there, I went to SpaceX in uh, Hawthorne, California. I moved to Seattle, Washington. There I worked at Blue Origin. They're a company, a space company owned by Jeff Bezos. So it's a space tourism operation. While I was there, uh, my wife Maggie actually worked in Marshall Space Flight Center in Alabama.
1: Now, while most of David's internships were separate from his now wife Maggie, they were lucky enough to have one internship together, overseas in fact we got
0: a um, an internship at the von Karman institute for fluid dynamics in uh, waterloo just south of brussels i honestly applied on a whim because maggie got an internship there and i got accepted so pretty excited to be able to go with her she worked on uh, re-entry vehicles so she worked with a hypersonic wind tunnel and a, a wind tunnel tunnel that uses plasma to ablate surfaces so that you could test materials uh, similarly to how they would react to re-entering the atmosphere. But my job there was entirely different. I worked on a turbine wind tunnel. I actually worked with capacitors to try to figure out the tip clearance on rotor blades at different RPMs and so forth. So it was pretty neat and like it's very unique, honestly. I had a uh, nine to five job I did and then I would come home and then we would go hang out all around Brussels. So it was my first time actually truly living somewhere uh, outside of the US.
1: You'd think being in Belgium during this time would be pretty interesting. This was during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis and the Paris attacks happened while they were over there, which led to increased day-to-day security around Brussels, which is the headquarters of the European Union. But there was an even more important event for David from his time in Europe.
0: Uh, we flew to Paris and I proposed um, at Disneyland Paris because my wife is a huge uh, Disney nut. Um, she she grew up in South Florida and uh, every year they would go to Disney two or three times a year. So I actually proposed in front of the Cinderella Castle. We got married uh, 2018 in, the, in November and we actually got married at Kennedy Space Center, which was like very appropriate.
1: Super cute. They even have a dog named Astro, which you may have heard throughout David's audio this episode rubbing up against the microphone.
0: Leadership, stop classes. One second. Astro! Here bud. (laughs) So my dog's name is Astro. He's about three years old now. He's a a border collie, German shepherd, uh, rescue from Texas.
1: David's not the only one who's been abroad for work. For Dylan, sometimes the Air Force requires that he fly literally around the globe, without landing. We're considered like
2: an all-weather worldwide bomber. I could take off from Minot Air Force Base. I could fly anywhere in the world without landing and then return to Minot Air Force Base having completed a mission. So the longest flight I've ever recorded in a B-52 was uh, 23 hours because we also have the ability to in-air refuel so we can take gas from a tanker jet. Our, my first deployment was out to Guam, out there in the Pacific. A lot of our flights uh, pretty much just involve and are centered around deterrence, pretty much exercising freedom of navigation. We're flying around, you know, Japan, off the coast of Russia, off the coast of China, pretty much just to show a presence that we're out there. It was a little non-standard for a deployment. Guam is a U.S. territory, and it's kind of, uh, kind of built up like a resort area as well. So it was a little little weird being deployed and then, you know, going on the beach and going to buffets and the, you know, resorts that are out there. It's also got a lot of history. So the first nuclear weapons were loaded up uh, uh, on an island called Tinian, which is just 40 miles north of Guam. So there's a lot of history
1: uh, on the island. So that was kind of cool to see as well. For those who remember history class, or more likely those who don't, the B-52 plane is a pretty old aircraft. As such, it takes a lot of crew to pilot and has some pretty complicated legacy systems. So
2: the jets that I fly in currently were built uh, back in 1961. Uh, Our training missions we go three or four times a month. One of its biggest highlights is the fact that we're the utility truck uh, for the Air Force. So we have a lot of different capabilities. Uh, We're one of the legs of the nuclear triad. So uh, nuclear weapons is one of our biggest uh, responsibilities that we maintain. But we also have a lot of uh, capabilities with standoff weapons. Um, for long range attacks that are conventional and as well as uh, close air support for troops on the ground or any kind of just small engagement that we can provide. Our job is kind of divided into three different categories. We have a a weapon systems officer kind of specialty, I guess if you want to call it, uh, electronic warfare officer, and just a plane navigator. So as a a weapon systems officer, you basically, depending on the plane you're on, you control kind of the offensive systems of the jet. As the electronic warfare officer uh you're basically the defense so you're in charge of defending the jet so you control chaff or flares any kind of deception devices the uh, jet might have and then as a navigator it's just pure you know as a state you're you're just navigating the jet around so like for me on the b-52 i'm purely a weapon systems officer so i don't deal with any of our defensive systems or um, i mean i deal with navigation inherently but that's kind of its own category we fly five people so we have two pilots Two weapon systems officers and one electronic warfare officer, and a standard combat crew. We're a really big old plane, so a lot of our systems aren't as streamlined as some of the newer, you know, single seat fighter jets. So they have a lot easier time as one person managing all those systems, to where the B 52 has a lot more, I don't know if I'd call them complex, but older systems that require a little more manual manipulation.
1: So it'd be a lot for just one or two people to manage all that. Since starting with the Air Force, Dylan's been promoted twice, from second lieutenant to first lieutenant and to his current rank of captain. As an officer, he has about 15 to 20 airmen he's responsible for making sure they stay up to date with their currencies or continuing education whenever they're on the ground between flights.
2: Uh, right now, like I'm a I'm a flight commander, so I have 15 to 20 people underneath me that I kind of just track and make sure that, you know, career-wise... Uh, Currency wise, personal wise, you know, I'm kind of like their overseer just to make sure everything
1: with them is good and on track. Meanwhile, for David, while his day to day at the ULA is a lot of computer tests, he does get some pretty cool experiences out of it all. So
0: currently, I work at uh, United Launch Alliance or uh, ULA in uh, Denver, Colorado. I got to watch an Atlas V launch three miles away from the launch. So I was one of the closest civilians. To the launch and it was a night launch and it was gorgeous. (laughs) ULA is a a rocket company. They own the uh, Delta IV and Atlas V rockets and they're currently working on the Vulcan rocket and we mostly launch national security satellites and a lot of NASA satellites. Also, we've launched every single Mars lander and uh, rover uh, as well, that have launched from the US. So that's kind of another cool thing in history. My wife started out in controls and I, I've i kind of always had the same job pretty much, uh, but I work vibroacoustic, which is essentially a vibration caused by sound. We do like predicting what the environments are like all over the rocket. And then we do a lot of testing as, as well as seeing how things look during a launch and comparing that to tests. So I actually, I actually joke with my wife that Uh, My job right now is my manager and the company kind of sticks me in a corner and I stay on my computer and do all of my analysis and so forth. And then occasionally I go out and run a vibration or shock test.
1: Now, as I mentioned before, the road to where they are hasn't always been easy for them, but also for their families. For David, he spent most of the last five years in a long distance relationship, which from personal experience requires a lot of dedication and communication to make work.
0: I think the hardest time for us was when I was working at SpaceX because my wife was actually working at Cape Canaveral for ULA, so she was working launch support for the Atlas and Delta rockets. Her day started at 5 a.m., and since she was three hours ahead, uh, she would finish way before I did, and I I would leave work at like 6 p.m. or something like that, and by then she'd already be about to go to sleep. Communication, especially in that time, was pretty tough for the two of us.
1: For Dylan, the military itself puts a toll on your personal choice and can require a lot of sacrifice, not only from you, but from your family as well.
2: Military giveth and it taketh away. You know, we have a lot of commitments and a lot of things that we have no say in that we can do and can't do. For example, like right now with all the COVID-19 restrictions and all, all of that going on, as a military member, I'm not allowed to leave my state right now. So there's a lot of things that we do in the military that are outside of our control as individuals. And, it, you know, it reflects on friends and family. Yeah, you know, I want to go back to Florida for a football game. You know, I want to go back home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Or, you know, if you have a family, like, yeah, I want to be at home with my family. But a lot of people don't realize that it's it's not a choice that we necessarily have 100% say in. And, you know, after a while, it does it does start to suck that you can't always do the things that you want to do whenever you want to do them. You know, our mission mission will always come first over us being able to do
1: you know, anything like that. To Dylan and any other members of our class who happen to be in the military, thank you for your service. Now, all this hardship they've been through has been worth it. It's allowed them to grow as individuals. For David, he definitely found himself in a way he hadn't quite yet in high school. He's even picked up a few interesting hobbies along the way.
0: I think one of the largest changes is me actually understanding who I am um because in in high school i was so go with the flow that a lot of people walked over me i didn't feel like i had many of my own opinions and i actually had someone last year um they call me a type a personality and that's something i have never considered myself and i was completely like my, my mind was blown kind of got into snowboarding and skiing since it's such it's like the thing to do out here a weird hobby i never expected to get into was uh, like horticulture i got i've gotten really into growing uh, bonsai trees Currently, I have four, and uh, Maggie jokes that in a year I'm probably going to have over a hundred.
1: For Dylan, one of the biggest lessons he's taken from the military was what he actually started learning all the way back in high school, back at Stanton.
2: I think something that I picked up from Stanton a lot as well, and that it's I, I've seen a lot through my career as well, is just is diversity. I've come in contact and you know experienced and been in charge of and had to figure out you know a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and you know i think stemming from stanton where we you know had a, a pretty diverse group of kids that went you know all over the world after that you know after we all left stanton we're involved in a bunch of different things while we were at stanton has really kind of transferred over even as an officer working you know with our enlisted guys working with other officers the diversity that i've seen and you know the ability to work with other people and uh, still you know, kind of move forward in my job and move forward with the job and mission that I've been assigned to do
1: has probably been one of the biggest things that has that I've gotten out of being in the Air Force so far. All that being said, both David and Dylan have exciting futures ahead of them.
0: When I started my master's program, it was right after right after I graduated. So I had this idea of where I wanted to go. And since I was in the program for around five years, by the time I graduated, I was in an entirely different place. So I ended up taking a lot more business style classes. So I'm thinking I'll probably wanna go one of those routes or maybe get into something like systems engineering where you actually integrate different groups and disciplines because I like looking at a problem kind of from the top down and like kind of viewing all aspects of it.
2: So my uh, current commitment is only out to eight years. So I would have probably three more years of service. Uh, I just found that i had a I had an interest in the medical field around my sophomore year. I realized I was a little a little late to jump on the uh, pre-med uh, train there and because of my Air Force scholarship, it was kind of too late for me to switch at that point. So I just decided that you know I was looked into it, and EMT was kind of a cool way to get into the medical field and get some experience and see how I liked it. I mean, yeah, so I I still maintain my uh, national certification as an EMT, just in case I uh, ever want to go back to it. I've always toyed with the idea of trying to go back uh, to the medical field, you know, whether it be like a doctor or PA or uh, like a nurse. Obviously, that just inquires more school and more time and more money. You know, if I wanted to go back and be a doctor, I don't know if I'm, I'm capable of uh, surviving eight more years of school. I also think uh, just some kind of contracting position with like Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grundman or any kind of defense contractor would also be uh, kind of cool. And then, you know, still kind of utilize the skill set that I learned in the B-52.
1: Whatever they do, I'm sure they'll fly high, just like the rest of our classes done. Special thanks to David and Dylan for sharing their stories with me. And while I wasn't able to interview Grima directly for the podcast, I hope I did your story proud if you're listening. And while I can't interview everyone for the podcast, you can have your story told on a future episode without me needing to go digging through social media trying to piece things together on my own. Just use the voice memo app on your phone to record yourself with your name, where you're located, and what you've been up to for the last 10 years or so. Send all recordings to me on Facebook or via email at ninjaboymedia at gmail.com. That's N-I-N-J-A-B-O-I-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. Full details on how to do this in the show notes. I'll be also making donations to the Jacksonville Public Education Fund for each submission I receive, so be sure to press your friends into sending their stories too. The opening and closing music was provided by Michael Xavier Barriwan of the Class of 2010, aka Namekian Silk check his stuff out on SoundCloud and Spotify. Other music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Also, a quick note, the views and opinions expressed on the show reflect the personal thoughts of those involved alone and do not reflect those of any other groups or organizations. Now, David and Dylan may have had the chance to travel the world, but they're certainly not the only ones. Next time, we'll talk to not one, not two, but three of our classmates who have had journeys that take them all over the place in ways that no one, not even themselves, could have predicted. Until then, I'm Paula Bautista, and remember, we run this.
2: I also enjoyed going to the football games with our uh, with our unique cheers of, you know, that's all right, that's okay, we have a higher GPA.